Thank you, Joe. We are continuing our series in the book of Titus. Um, so we're going to be looking at today's passage, and then next Lord's Day, Chris will be speaking. And then we'll have two more weeks in the book of Titus. Uh, this summer, we're going to be looking at uh, the minor prophets who have major lessons. So this summer, minor prophets, Lord willing, this coming fall in um, August, we'll be looking at the book of Philippians. We'll be working our way through the book of Philippians. But it would help me out a lot. It would help you out a lot if you have your Bibles and you'll look at um, Titus chapter 3 here at our text. Because I'm going to be working our way through these few verses as we um, look at today's passage. The title of my message today is, Are You a Busy Body? Or are you busy building the body? Try to say that ten times fast. Are you a busy body? Or are you busy building the body? We're going to be looking at verses 9 through 11, but I want to go back to verse number 8 that we looked at last week because I want you to see where I got the message title from and really the theme or the emphasis of our text this morning. Look at verse number 8. Paul says, This saying, which the saying is really what was said in verses 4 through 7, it's one sentence, this saying is trustworthy. And he says to Titus, And I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God, those who have believed in God, those are people who are followers of Christ. We would call them believers. Those who have not believed in God are unbelievers, right? We have those who are saved, those who understand who Christ is, the gospel, and those who do not understand the gospel, those who are unsaved. So that those who have believed in God might or may be careful to devote themselves, to pursue, to make it a priority to good works. And he ends the verse, and I want you to see the last phrase here that will help you understand the title of my message. He says, these things, these things about believers, those who've named the name of Christ, and they're being careful to devote themselves to pursue good works, these things are excellent and profitable for people. So here's my question. In verse 8, he said that these things are profitable. They're of value. And here's my question for you this morning. Are there things that are not valuable and that there are things that are worthless? Yes or no? And the Bible is so practical that he shows you in the very next verse. He says in verse 8, if you are busy building the body... That's a good thing. That's going to be a benefit. That's going to be a profit. That's going to be a value to the church. And he says, let me tell you something that's not profitable. And we see in verse 9, really starting our text, the very first word of verse number 9 is the word but. He says, these things are profitable, in verse 8, but... Avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law. Here's the phrase, for they, for these things, the things I've just said, they are unprofitable and worthless. 
So the title of my message this morning is, Are You Busy? Are you a busy body? Or are you busy building the body? Are you doing something? Are you investing in relationships of building other people up, which is profitable? Are you a busy body and you are involved in doing these things that he says in verse number nine that we ought not to do? Verse 8 stands in contrast to verse 9. Verse 8 shows you what is of great profit. Verse 9 shows you what is unprofitable. So I just want to do a quick review from last week, and that's looking at verse number 8. He talks about the saying is trustworthy. I said that to you about verse number, uh, verses 4 through 7. He says, Titus, I want you to insist on these things. Make sure that you're proclaiming the truth that those people who have named the name of God, named, named the name of Christ, that they're careful to make it a priority to be involved in doing good works. And last week's message really shared with you some of the tension because we are told time and time again that it's not that we're going to be in heaven because of our saved, because of our good works, right? That's Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. That's Titus chapter 3 and verse 5. We're not saved by our works of righteousness, which we have done. But folks, if you are saved, he has saved us to work. Ephesians 2.10 says we are created um, as a workman unto good works. We are his workmen that are to be involved in ministering and loving and doing things. And, and, and three weeks from today, I'll be specifically going through this book and we're going to be looking at that word about good works and how it applies. And it's even mentioned not only in, in verse 8 of our text, but it's also mentioned in verse 14 of our text. It's mentioned in verse 1 of our, our uh, chapter, chapter 3. So three times at least in chapter 3, this word about good works. So we're not saved because of our works, but if you are saved, you ought to be making a difference for the cause of Christ where he has. So number one, my first point this morning, very briefly, it is profitable to be busy building the body. He is writing to those people who have believed in God. Do you know that if you are a believer this morning, that he has given to you his spirit? And by having his spirit... And by having God's power that he can produce in us that which is beyond ourselves naturally. And so it's not that we're just to be going out and doing good works. We are to be empowered by the Lord doing what he has called us to do. And last week I ended my message with talking about those who are in the nursery and those who are greeting and all of the things that I said. And you know, I, I forgot one important, really two things. I forgot our AV ministry that they're doing a great work because without them you couldn't hear me so good work and then quite frankly any other ministry if you're doing it for the name and the glory and the good of man and you're doing it for God's glory it's a good work and we are to be making a difference we're to be using our gifts and our talents and our treasures and our time for the glory of God and for the blessing to other people have you ever heard of this phrase, um, an idle mind is what? Is the devil's workshop. What you're going to find out in our text here, folks, is as if the saying is, 
and I've said it this way, an idle heart and idle hands can be a devil's workshop. Because in verse 8, he's talking about encourage your people to be doing good works, of making a difference. And he puts that in contrast with people who can stir up division and confusion in the church. And folks, why is this important? Why is this important? Because throughout the book of Titus, he's talking about good and godly doctrine that leads to good and godly living. False doctrine is going to, to, to produce a false type of a life and a false type of living that doesn't show Christ. And he's talking about good doctrine. And he's talking about when you preach and proclaim and you embrace the, the truth, then through our lives, God is going to be working where we're going to be making a difference in other people's lives. So it is profitable to be busy building the body. And number two, quickest first point I've ever had in my life, all right? Number two, it is unprofitable to be a busy body. Let me give you an illustration that happened probably about 10 years ago. Um, I was visiting a friend up in Franklin who's a friend of mine. And as I was coming through his neighborhood, at the very beginning of the neighborhood, I happened to see his in-laws that were walking in the neighborhood, and they were visiting from out of state, and I had met them on a previous occasion. And as they were walking, I noticed them, and I go and I, I knock on my friend's door, and we're standing outside of his uh, house, and we're talking. And a few minutes later, his in-laws show up. And we're chit-chatting and everything else, and I asked this question. I said, hey, I said, I said, how long are you guys going to be able to stay? And they said, well, we're leaving Saturday. And jokingly, and jokingly, I said, well, Dave said he could not wait until Saturday. We kind of laughed. I went home, and about an hour later, my friends, husband and wife, they called me on the phone and they said, Mike, would you please tell my mom that you were joking? Says <laughs> so she's packing her stuff up now <laughs> to leave. And I had to convince this mother-in-law that I was joking. And I was joking, all right? My humor, it's terrible, all right? She was packing up to leave. I didn't mean to cause division and confusion, but I did. And our text today challenges us to make sure that whether it's in our home or whether at work or whether at church, that we're very careful about not causing division and having mother-in-laws pack their stuff. I don't know about that. I've had a number of people, uh, as we're talking about building, I've had a number of people tell me about situations that they have gone through in their church. And they're like, Pastor, we got to be very careful about building. And one particular person in our church told me about their church where literally people were fighting, and you've heard me joke about this, but they were fighting over the color of the carpet. And that really did damage to their church. I tease with you that the first chairs that we had were blue. 
You say, why blue? It's because I started the church, and I had some money, and I said, I'm going to purchase blue chairs. I thought they were pretty cool. These chairs, I don't remember who purchased them, and I don't care what color they are. I hope, hopefully, they're comfortable for you. If they're not, come sit on these black chairs on the front row. It'll be so good for you, all right? But, folks, as a church, we have to determine how we're going to respond in life, not only at church, but also in our homes. And I thank God for moms who are many times are the ones who are the peacemakers who are bringing harmony in the home. As God's people, as God's children, we must strive for the unity of the gospel and determine if the color of our carpet is priority or showing the love of Christ to lost and dying people is a priority. So God help us as we navigate these things. In our passage this morning, Paul recognized the long-range damage and division within the church resulting from hearts that allow or promote division. And then he specifically tells Titus how to handle it to ensure that there's healthy doctrine and healthy truth and healthy living and a healthy spirit among God's people. And you might be here this morning, you might say, well, Pastor Stalnaker, how would one cause division? And I'm so glad that you asked. Look with me in verse number 9 of our text. Division can occur when, when you debate about things that do not matter. Look at verse number 9. He says, but avoid foolish. The word foolish there is the word in the Greek moros. It's where we get our word moronic or moron from. Do not, uh, but, but avoid foolish moronic controversies. Please understand that the text doesn't say not to handle controversies. We are to handle controversies. But our text says that there are some things that are moronic. Literally, some things that are stupid. Some things that are foolish to debate. And we can have our preferences, we can have our convictions, we can have our strong beliefs, we can have our traditions. And I think this happens even in theology. That sometimes we will go beyond Scripture and we will uh, be logical in our thinking and, and we'll quote all other kinds of people, but we've, we've gone beyond what the Bible says and we're talking about understanding and logic and we're wanting to fight over our logic, our logical things that we think that the Bible comes to. And I would say, do you understand that there are good people throughout history, good and godly people who have disagreed about things and they're both going to be in heaven? And in a sense, we have to pick our battles. And he says here, do not um, argue about things that are moronic or uh, foolish controversies. Things that don't have an answer. Things that people can talk about and talk about and talk about, and it gets you nowhere. Because there are other things that do matter. Don't focus on that. Don't focus on your theological tangents. There are questions that should be raised and must be discussed, but there are also a lot of foolish talk out there that it's really not going to build up the body or encourage others. Number two, division occurs when we find ways to elevate ourselves. 
look back again at verse number 9, but avoid not only foolish controversies, but genealogies. This word genealogies is not a slam against Ancestry.com. It's not a slam of, of going back and understanding the genealogies in the Bible. I mean, Matthew chapter 1 talks about genealogies. One of your favorite books in all the Bible, like Leviticus and all these other ones, it's about genealogies, you know what I'm saying? It's, it's not saying that, it, that those things ought not to be talked about or understood, but what was going on with both the Jews and the Gentiles or the Gnostics is they were going back, whether the Jewish, they were going back into the heritage of their Jewish ancestry finding out what tribe they came from or whether they were the tribe of Levi and then in a sense based on that knowledge making themselves or elevating themselves to be better than someone else same thing with the Gnostics that they were going back into their lineage just to prove in a sense that there was a hierarchy that, that in a sense I am better than you mentality and he says to Titus, as you preach and as you teach, yes, avoid the foolish controversies, but avoid the genealogy talk about trying to decide who is going to be better than someone else because of where we came from. Our worth is not found in our heritage. I praise God for the heritage that we have or that you have. But we're no better because of our heritage or where we came from. We're children of God. Desiring to love him and love others. How does division occur when you debate about things that don't matter, when you find ways to elevate yourself? And look at number three, that division occurs when you act in the flesh and not in the spirit. He says in verse 9, but avoid foolish controversies. Avoid the genealogies. And then he says next, avoid dissensions, or some of your translations might say contentions. This word is something that is natural in the flesh. It describes contention and wrangling between people. And folks, if, you, if you're honest about it, all the way back to the book of Genesis, shortly after sin entered the world, it wasn't long between in time that two boys were born and one rose up and killed his brother. Even after Adam and Eve sinned, it wasn't long before contention entered the marriage and God's confronting them about their sin. And Adam, talking to God, in a sense brings up, Lord, the woman that you gave me, she's the one who, who caused it. And, and there's contention and there's finger pointing. And that's natural within us. But God has not called believers to be natural. He's called us to be spirit-filled, let, letting Christ live in us for the good of others and for his glory. This same word is mentioned in 1 Corinthians uh, a number of times. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 11, as Paul is writing to the, the church at Corinth, this is what he says, and I'll tell you the word that he's talking about here. Paul writes to the church, he says, It has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. The word quarreling is the same word that we're talking about here in our text, contentions, dissensions. 
It's also mentioned in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 3. He says, but I, brothers, and he's, he's writing to God's people. He's writing to people who know Christ. He's writing to the body. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you're not ready. They were acting in a very carnal, fleshly, selfish way, and he couldn't give them the meat. He says in verse 3, For you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife, that's the word, strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? And the miracle of the gospel, folks, is we don't have to live in the old way. That Christ can change our hearts that we might have a marriage that's different from the human way. And that we might respond, not like all humans do and what's natural, but we might respond because the Spirit of God is in us and produces the fruit of the Spirit in us as we have relationships. How does division occur when you debate about things that don't matter? When you find ways to elevate yourself, when you act in the flesh and not in the spirit. And number four is when division occurs when you argue about, argue about your traditions. And really, the word tradition is not a bad word. There are some good traditions, but they are traditions, right? Traditions aren't always bad. It's the, the value that we put on our traditions. And he says here, But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. Do you know what he's going after here? Do you know specifically what traditions he's going after? I don't. And most of the commentators I read, they don't know specifically what it is. It was probably something to the point of you have Jews and Jews are following the Old Testament and then in God's church at Pentecost, even, even when Crete was first mentioned that there was Cretans saved on the day of Pentecost and the gospel goes back to Crete and then you have those who are the Jewish background of their rituals and their ceremonies and then you have these Gentiles, that would be us, that we hear the gospel, and then the Jews are saying, well, you need to be circumcised. Well, hold on, that, that's mentioned in the Old Testament. Is that for us today? And, and there's so many rules and regulations, not just that the Scriptures would say in the Old Testament that perhaps they were trying to apply to the Gentiles that were converted, but then there's the Pharisees, even in Christ's day, that, that they went beyond the scriptures and they had their traditions that they wanted to impose on Christ and if you understand the gospels at any time Christ pushed back on the Pharisees often and he called out their hypocrisy and he called out their standards of what they said matter of fact in Matthew chapter 23 in, in verse 23 he says woe to you scribes and Pharisees hypocrites he says for you tithe mint and deal and come and that you, you you will tithe off of your little mint and all these little other little things that you're very particular about this and he says you have neglected the weightier matters of the law what was that justice mercy 
in faithfulness. And really the application was is that they were trying, these people were trying to get away to avoid the responsibility to take care of their parents. And he says, you're so particular about these things, but you have forgotten these things. You have forgotten justice and mercy and faithfulness. He says, these things you ought to have done. You ought to have given of your tithe of these things. You ought to have done these things without neglecting the others. And here's what he says. Catch this. You blind guides. Think about this imagery. Straining out at a gnat, but swallowing a camel. And I have heard of things in churches where people are, are willing to swallow a camel but because of their traditions, they struggle. And the Lord calls them to task. And it's over Scripture, and it's over their traditions, and it's over the application. And here, no doubt, these Jewish teachers, these Jewish people were trying to, to force something on these Gentiles. And I'm not talking about lawlessness. The Bible preaches against lawlessness, folks. Of just doing what you want to do but it also preaches and teaches against legalism we must do what we do by the grace of God I have a number of illustrations that I've heard over the years of things that people have insisted on and I'm not going to go through them but each of us have our traditions and think this is the way church ought to be I am so thankful that I pastor a, a group of people over the last 14 years that God has given us harmony and peace and unity. And I don't take that for granted. Matter of fact, the alarms go off because I'm thinking, you know what? The devil would love to destroy what God has given us. And we've got to have a spirit that Christ has given us. Why should we avoid these things? Look at the end of verse number 9. The Bible says, For they are unprofitable, and they're worthless. It doesn't benefit anything. But Bible teaching, Bible preaching, the truth is always beneficial. The good stuff will produce good stuff. Not many souls will be won to Christ because of our bickering or your personal preferences, or your strong convictions of going beyond Scripture. Have those things. But also realize that there's a lost and dying world without Christ. The Bible says that these things are unprofitable. They're unprofitable in church. They're unprofitable in our homes. They're unprofitable in our small groups. They're unprofitable in our text messages. They're unprofitable in our emails. It's unprofitable at work for you to sow discord, to cause confusion and problems. May God help us to be faithful at making and maturing disciples. So the question is, is how do you respond to people like this? I'm glad that the Bible tells us. Look in the scriptures here, verse 10 and following. It says, as for a person who stirs up division, and some of your translation has the word talks about a heretic. And sometimes people think about 
a heretic is someone who is teaching false doctrine. That's not what this is talking about here. The word heretic is someone who is um, divisive, someone who has a sect, a group, a clique, a person who is cliquish, someone who wants to get a gathering for their following. This is how you are to respond. Very much like Romans says in Romans chapter 16, verses 17 and 18, when Paul wrote to the church of Rome, he says this, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught, and avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Jesus, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. How are you to deal with those who want to cause division? This person who's a heretic, someone who is factitious, they're opinionated to a fault. It's their way or the highway. There's not seeing a bigger picture. Here's what the Bible says. Number one, you respond with a warning. But really, the first word is, is that you respond. I don't know how many of you wake up in the morning and think, man, I just cannot wait to rebuke someone today. I hate confrontation. Um, but not responding is going to create a whole lot more problems than your responding. And the Bible says you've got to say something. You've got to do something. Because if you don't, it's going to be disruptive to your family. It can be disruptive in your workplace. It can be disruptive in your church. You've got to respond. You've got, the word here is warn. It's to call to mind. It has the sense of instructing, warning, admonishing, exhorting of saying, be careful, watch out, don't go this way. And I understand we don't like to do that. But sometimes you have to do that. And then the Bible also says, it doesn't say, listen, once they do it one time, just write them off. No, you go and you, you talk to them. Perhaps they didn't understand. Perhaps they didn't really get it man there's been many times in my life where someone will explain something and then they'll explain it again and I still didn't get it and finally I'm like now I get it so there's some patience here respond with patience but respond and then the third response is that if they do not respond then you reject them you put them out you don't listen to them you don't waste your time. They have been self-condemned. They are going their own way. They're going to do their own thing. One particular commentator, one that I appreciate, Hebert says, further efforts would not be a good stewardship of your time and energies and would give the offender an undeserved sense of importance. Divisions within the church results in believers who are confused, frustrated, angry, and hurt. And the Bible says why. Look in verse number 11. It describes the person. 
It says, knowing that such a person is warped. That word warped is twisted. It's that he is off track, and he's going to continue to stay off track. He's twisted. He's warped. Look in verse 11 again. And he's also sinful. He sins by turning away from truth and doing his own thing and insisting on his own rights. He sins by causing division in the church, and he, re- he sins by rejecting the admonitions by church leadership. Divisive persons are twisted. Divisive persons sin. And we see here that divisive persons are condemned. Verse 11, they are self-condemned by their own actions. The scriptures say that they are condemned. I, I am almost done. As your pastor here, I've led you in such a way that over the last 14 years, we don't argue about certain things. We don't argue about Bible translations. You know what we want you to do? We want you to pick up your Bible and we want you to read it. Find a trustworthy translation and read your Bible. Spend time with God. We don't fight about music. Last week, our worship leader led us in, in songs and there wasn't one hymn there. You know why? Because he chose that. Do you know why we had the songs that we did today? Because Kyle chose that. We love the old songs. This morning as I was thinking about my mom, I was playing an old station, radio station, and some of you will remember, um, Will That Chord Be Broken? Is that the song, By and By, Lord, you know? How many of you guys remember that song? Wow, that's a lot. A lot of old people here. No, I'm teasing. (laughs) There's my humor again, all right? Oh. We love the old songs but we also love the doctrinally rich songs today. I'm thankful that we have both young and old who love the hymns, and we have young and old who are willing to learn the new doctrinally rich songs today. And when we get to heaven, folks, we may not sing any of these songs. It might be all new songs. And I don't want you over in the corner saying, I'm not going to sing these songs. (laughs) Because you won't be complaining to me. I'll say, talk to Jesus, you know. Sometimes we can get cantankerous on what we want and what we like and what we're used to. And folks, I came from a church where everything had to please the pastor. The singing, the dress on the platform. And I came here, and I just looked forward to saying when someone said, hey, can we sing? I'd say, yes. That's gotten me in trouble at least once, all right? We had a guy who someone said, hey, can, can my brother sing? And some of you remember this. And they said, well, he, he has a voice like Elvis. Well, I have no problem with Elvis's voice, but they didn't tell me that he was an Elvis impersonator as well. <laughs> and then after he sang, he said, thank you, thank you, you like very much, like Elvis, you know? And I'm like... <sighs> but I don't get everything that I want either. But that's the glory of the gospel, living through all of us, loving and serving others. We don't fight about dress. We simply ask that you get dressed before you come. We won't fight about the color of the carpet or the paint color or the style of the chair that we get. We're not going to allow 
the devil to have a foothold in the midst of God's blessing. We want to be a church that loves God and loves others. Two things and I'm done. Ephesians 4, let's practice these passages, these verses. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Live like Jesus, he's saying. How are you to do that? Number one, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Not just bearing with one another. I'm bearing with you. No, bear with one another in love eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace and then I close with one of my favorite illustrations let's watch out for the devil and this is from a Spurgeon sermon where he told this story and he writes Spurgeon writes I remember a somewhat ludicrous incident that occurred in a church which there were great quarrelings and bickering The minister, the deacons, and his people were all at arm's length with daggers drawn. It was determined at last that the matter should come to a settlement. It was by mutual consent given up to the judgment of a good Christian farmer who lived in the neighborhood. He was to hear the case and write an answer to be read at the next church meeting. Our friend, the farmer, sat down to write his letter. And at the same time, he had had a letter from a steward or a tenant asking advice about his farm. And by mistake or rather by a blessed providence as God would have it, he put the wrong letters into the envelopes so that the letter that was intended for the church went to the steward and that which was intended to the steward, the farmer, went to the church. At the church meeting, when they were all assembled, this letter was read in the church. It ran, it read as follows. Dear friend, mind you to see to the edges well. Keep them up as best as you can. And take special care of that old black bull. Spurgeon writes, Now that was the most extraordinary letter to write to a church. It had been sent by mistake, but the minister, thinking it was a bona fide piece of advice, said he could not comprehend it. Some brother got up and said it was plain enough. It it meant that we must be very watchful as to whom they should receive into the church. They should keep their hedges up and see that there were no gaps And, said he, by that old black bull, I have no doubt he means the spirit of Satan that would get in and trouble and divide us. So understanding it, in that sense, they made up their differences, repaired their hedges, and were careful about the old black bull. Community Baptist Church, if you are living and rejoicing in good doctrine, there ought to be good living and a good spirit in our hearts. May we go forward in the power of his grace and for his glory. Let's pray. As our heads are bowed this morning, a couple of questions. Number one, are you living a life of humility at church, at home, at work, and in this community? Do you go around causing confusion and dissension and division? If you're a child this morning, your mom and your dad want unity in the home. Are you a busy body? Are you busy building the body? Are you allowing the fruit of the Spirit to bless others? Or are you full of yourself and causing division and contentions? If you're here this morning, do you know Christ? Do you have assurance of your well-being? 
Do you esteem others better than yourself? May God search our hearts and to help us to be what he wants us to be. Father, I pray that you would help us as a church. I pray that you would help us as families, as individuals as we go out to work this week. Lord, that we would have the spirit of Christ when it's, when it's wrong and it's clear that we would stand for truth. But Lord, that we would give grace to other brothers and sisters who, who would see things differently. We're not going to compromise the truth. We're going to fight for the doctrines that are at core. But Lord, our convictions and our preferences, may you give us grace and may we love others and esteem others better than ourselves. Help us as a church as we navigate the building process. Help us as a church as we navigate the two-service concept as we're moving forward. And we just, Lord, ask you to help us and help us to keep focused on making and maturing disciples for your namesake, I pray. Amen.